Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. God, praise God, praise God. Well, I want you to open your Bible to two openings that we've looked at several times. They have uh, have basically become the uh, text that we've been using here in the last few weeks, and that is in Ephesians chapter 6, and then also in 1 Timothy 2. We'll look in Ephesians chapter 6 as our first reading. We're talking about revival praying. We've been on this subject for, very, uh, for several weeks now. What kind of praying is involved when uh, revival is uh, flowing and happening in a church? We found out this, and we know this from the scripture, we know it from history, and we know it personally right around here in our own church, that revival comes as a result of prayer. Amen. Well, if revival comes as a result of prayer, revival is sustained as a result of prayer. Amen. You want to know why revivals uh, wane and, and die out? It's because people stop praying. They lose their hunger for more of God. And when they do, revival dies. But that doesn't have to happen. I said it doesn't have to happen. Glory to God. Praying sustains revival. Praying causes revival to grow and expand beyond what it is to reach more people, more congregations, uh, uh, to spread in, in, from one church throughout a community and, and all across the region and all around the nation and all over the world. Prayer spreads revival. Amen. Amen. And so we're in revival. We thank God for it. And so uh, it's important that we learn uh, how to pray during revival. Revival praying is important. And so uh, the first uh, passage I want you to look at is in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse number 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Notice praying always with all prayer. Other translations say all manner of prayer. All kinds of prayer. Praying always with all kinds of prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Well, if we're to pray with all kinds of prayer, that means there are different kinds of prayer. Much of the church world uh, just believes that prayer is prayer. You know, it's just, it's just prayer. And they never even stop to think that there are different kinds of prayer. Well, he said praying with all kinds of prayer. There are different kinds of prayer. And there are principles, we call them laws sometimes that govern, I, I don't know which is better to call them laws or principles, uh, but there are, there are truths and applications and principles that apply to, to certain kinds of praying that don't apply to other kinds of praying. And, it's, and I've used this illustration, I got it from Dad Hagen, but I've never heard a better illustration before or since. And it's sort of like uh, different kinds of sports. Well, all sports are sports. But they're all different, yet they're all sports. And you can't play one kind of sport 
with the rules or the principles that govern another kind. You don't dribble a baseball. Try it. It doesn't work. Isn't that right? It would be foolish to attempt to play basketball with uh, uh, football rules. And yet, somebody says, well, you know, it's, it, prayer is just prayer. It's just like saying, well, let's, let's get together and let's play sports today. Well, what kind? Oh, you know, just sports. Let's just have, let's get together. Let's go outside and play sports. Well, what kind of sport? Well, it just doesn't match just sports. Well, what are you going to play? You gotta have to, you're going to have to determine what kind of sport or else you'll be in confusion. One person will have a football. The next person will have a bat. Next person will have a tennis racket. Man, you'll have a disaster. Well, the, the same thing is true where praying is concerned. Paul said praying with all kinds of prayer. Well, we're not going to go into it today, but we've identified in previous sessions, we've identified at least nine different specific kinds of prayers or praying, type of praying. And so when we talk about revival praying, we're focusing primarily on two aspects of praying, two kinds of prayer, and that's supplication and intercession. And we will talk about united prayer uh, before we get uh, finished with this. But supplication and intercession are two kinds of praying that are especially used during revival and bring, they're prayers that bring revival, they're prayers that are used extensively in revival praying. Now that doesn't mean that the other kinds of praying aren't important because they are. The prayer of consecration, for instance, is, is used throughout your life in any environment. All the time. We should always be leading uh, lives of fresh consecration to God. And in times of revival, consecration is essential. But uh, we're talking about praying for others in revival. We're talking about revival spreading and growing uh, and reaching more people. For, well, for that to happen, we pray the prayer of supplication and intercession. Those two kinds of praying. So we've been focusing on this, and you'll notice in this text it mentions supplication twice. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and, uh, and then supplication for all the saints. Now go with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy, the second chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore... I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Notice giving of thanks. That's a different kind of praying. Thanksgiving, praise and worship and thanksgiving, that's one kind of praying. But he also mentions supplications, prayers in general, and intercessions. Supplications and intercessions. So the last couple of uh, uh, weeks, two or three weeks, we've been talking about these, these kinds of praying. Last Sunday night, we, uh, we left off talking about the fact that when we are uh, entering into uh, supplication and intercession for people, now we discussed the difference between the two. And sometimes there are common rules that apply. Uh, uh, in, 
in one type of praying, they're very similar to another kind of praying, and yet there are other rules that aren't the same. For instance, in supplication and intercession, both of these prayers are earnest prayers. It's earnest, heartfelt, fervent prayers. You know, the Bible teaches us to be fervent in spirit. We're supposed to be fervent in spirit. When it comes to praying, uh, we especially need fervency in our praying, and we've talked about that. Uh, And so uh, supplication is earnest, heartfelt prayer, uh, uh, fervent prayer. Well, intercession and, and supplication can be made for anybody, saved or unsaved. And supplication can be prayed for any kind of need that anyone might have, whether it's a natural need, a financial need, a a physical need, a spiritual need, it can, it can cover anything. Intercession is, is especially, though, intercession is especially a prayer to hold back judgment. We talked about the fact that when people persist in sin, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about someone who's struggling against sin and trying to overcome maybe bad habits or overcome uh, some... Uh, tendency in their lives. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when people knowingly and uh, arrogantly and rebelliously persist in sin, defying God, defying what they know to be the truth. When someone persists in sin, we found out that, that sin like that calls for judgment. Just like faith when, when a person exercises faith toward God, faith calls for a blessing. It, it, it invokes a blessing. Well, on the, on the other hand, sin doesn't invoke a blessing. It provokes judgment. It provokes God and provokes wrath. It, it calls on the judgment of God. Well, in order for uh, God to... God is not... Uh, He's not pleased when people suffer. God is not willing that people perish. He doesn't take pleasure in destruction. He doesn't take pleasure in judgment. He would rather people repent and get their lives straightened out. And he will put off judgment as long as he can. But when people persist in wrongdoing, judgment has to come. And so what God will do very often is he will lay someone on your heart to have you pray for that person and to make intercession. And what you do is in effect is you stand in the gap between God and that person praying and God will respond to your praying on their behalf to hold back judgment a little longer. And it gives that person more opportunity uh, to come to the light, more opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move in their lives, more opportunity to repent. Amen? So when and, uh, praying the prayer of intercession is, is especially a prayer to hold back judgment, but because of the nature of it, it's also heartfelt, fervent praying. So some of the rules concerning supplication apply where the, where the prayer of intercession is concerned. On Sunday night last week, we, we uh, finished up with this idea that when we are in supplication and we're praying, earnest praying, and the Spirit of God lays someone on your heart, whether it's 
the prayer of supplication or, or intercession, in order for these prayers to be most effective, they need to be prayed under the inspiration and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We quoted, and, and go ahead and turn over there, though we'll, we'll, we'll look at it again later. Let's go ahead and look at it now. Go with me to Romans chapter, <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 26. We talked about this on Sunday night. Likewise, Romans 8, 26, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Now the older King James says helps in our infirmities. And a lot of people took that word infirmity to mean sickness. But the word that, that the Greek word that's translated infirmity simply means a weakness. Now in popular usage, the English word, the modern word infirmity, very often, or I would say even most of the time, refers to physical infirmity. Some type of physical weakness or sickness or condition. We call that an infirmity. And the Bible does use this word that way. But the word by strict definition doesn't mean sickness. It means weakness. And of course that could apply to physical weakness. But here it doesn't apply to physical weakness at all. It's a spiritual weakness. He said likewise the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, in our, in our infirmity, in our weakness. Well what kind of weakness is he talking about? He tells us in the very next sentence. Here's our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. That's a weakness. Lack of understanding. Not knowing is a big weakness in prayer. Somebody comes to you and says, you know, my, my, uh, my husband and I, we're going through marital problems. And I don't want to go into all the detail, but I just want you to pray. Well, how are you going to pray for that? God bless Johnny and Susie. God, they're going through marital problems. Help them. Well, you know, that might save your conscience that you've at least prayed. But uh, that really doesn't address the problem because you don't, know what this, you don't know what's going on in their marriage. Marital problems uh, are very complex. And there are many different uh, dynamics at play. A lot of different things going on. Uh, nobody's right if everybody's wrong. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to, to marriage problems. And, uh, and so how are you going to pray? You don't know. And even if, if one of the persons involved confides in you. Well, here's what's going on. How many of you understand that you're not going to get the whole story? You're going to get that person's perspective. And they're going to... They're gonna, uh, build themselves up and, and, and uh, diminish and, and play down the virtues of the other partner. Isn't that right? Well, that might not be valid at all. And so God knows. Well, I don't know. That's a weakness. I go to God and pray. I want to pray for Johnny and Susie, but Lord, what, what to pray? I, other than just help them. I, even if I know a few things, I don't know nearly enough. For we know not what to pray for. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Didn't say we don't know what to pray for, but we don't know what to pray for as we ought. I pointed out on Sunday night, we ought to know. 
We ought to know. We ought, well, let, let, me, let, me, let me take that back. We, not, we ought not to know. We ought to pray. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. As we ought what? As we ought to pray. We ought to pray for Johnny and Susie. Well, see, a lot of people think, well, I'll, one day I'll just stand before the Lord and he'll say, why didn't you pray for Johnny and Susie? Why didn't you pray about their real need? And you say, well, Lord, you know, you have to give me a pass. I didn't know. Yeah, but you ought. You ought to have prayed. But I couldn't pray. I didn't know. You ought to have prayed. Well, that's a conundrum. What, what are you going to do? We don't know what we should pray for as we ought. But notice the next part. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit helps in our prayer weakness. We pointed out that that word helps in the original Greek is a long compound word, which I wouldn't even attempt to pronounce, but it means to take hold with together against. Now, I, I usually say it different, but that's in the right order. The right order is to take hold with, together against. But I like to say it because it just flows better. Take hold together with against. But you see, it's the same, the same thought. God, the Holy Spirit, takes hold with us in prayer, takes hold together with us in prayer against our prayer infirmities, our prayer weaknesses, by making intercession for us or through us. See, a lot of people have the idea that, that God, God, that this verse teaches that God will do their praying, that he'll make intercession for them in their place. But that's not what this is saying. He said, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit takes hold together with us against. Well, if we're not taking hold, how can he take hold together with us? He takes hold together with us against our prayer weakness. Well, if we're not taking hold, then how can he take hold together with us? We have to enter into prayer. We have to put ourselves out and make a determination that we're going to pray for Johnny and Susie. We, we, need to, we need to be interested enough in them to put ourselves out and say, God, I need you to help me pray. And the Holy Spirit will help us in our praying. And when he does, the, the more we submit to and the more we yield to the anointing, the stronger that prayer anointing can become and the, and the greater the empowering in prayer. We need to be empowered. We need the might of the Holy Spirit. We need him to take hold together strongly with us. And move through us in prayer. So we have to have that, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit. And if we approach it casually, then God doesn't have any fervency on our part to hook up with. God is very fervent about Johnny and Susie's marital problems. He's, he is profoundly interested. He is greatly moved by their situation. He longs for them to receive the very best in their lives where their marriage is concerned. He wants it. And, and we have to approach that prayer 
with, with some degree of fervency and urgency in our own heart to give God something to hook up with. And then we begin to tap by the anointing. We begin to tap into his fervency and his desire. And we, get, we begin to be moved with his compassion and moved with his desire for this situation. That's why we have to have the Holy Spirit's help. We have to have his help in praying. Amen. And, uh, and so we pointed out the fact, again on, on Sunday night, just kind of recapping, that when this takes place, there, there comes into play something we call identification. Identification. What identification means, it, it, what identification is in prayer is you taking someone else's place in prayer. In other words, identifying with them to the degree that, that you stand where they stand. You take their need as your own. Now, we know that's possible, and, and we know it's, it's a divine attribute, but we know it's possible for men. Jesus came to this earth and identified with, with fallen man, didn't he? Jesus was in heaven. He had always been with the Father. But he took upon himself our fleshly form. He took upon himself the nature of a man, a human being, and came and became one of us so that by, by identifying with us and becoming like we were and standing where we stand, experiencing what we experience, being facing the same temptations we face every day, he then was able, God was able to use him to bear us up and out of this. God used his willingness to identify with us, to, to empower him in a way to bring deliverance to us. And he did. When Jesus approached the, the tomb, Lazarus's tomb, Mary and Martha, uh, his, his two sisters were brokenhearted that he had died, and they were weeping. And when Jesus approached the tomb, it says in John chapter 11 that he groaned in the spirit and wept with them. What was he doing? Was, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't weeping out of his own sorrow. In fact, he had told his disciples, we're going to wake him up. He told his disciples, Lazarus is dead, but we're going to raise him up. Now, if Jesus knew he was there to raise him up, you think he'd be all caught up in grief? Oh, he's dead. On his own? No. He's going there to raise him from the dead. No, what is he doing? He entered into identification. He entered into supplication where Mary and Martha were concerned because he, he felt what they felt. It wasn't his sorrow. It wasn't his grief. It was their sorrow and grief. And he entered into that and wept with them. It's been said that a, the spiritual person can go from the house of rejoicing and rejoice with those who rejoice and can go to the house of weeping and weep with those who weep. And, and the Bible teaches us that, that, doesn't it? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What's that talking about? Identify with people. Paul said, in order to reach the Jews, I became as a Jew. 
I became like them that I might reach them. That's identification. Well, in, in supplication and intercession, there is this aspect of identifying with people. We have to step, and you can't, you can't work, this is not something you can work up. Because all of this is dependent upon the, the enabling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You can start out by giving your will to God in prayer, saying, Lord, use me, help me to pray. I'm willing to spend time praying for so-and-so. I know they have a desperate need. I want to be used by you in prayer. And you can begin to pray in the Spirit, all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Begin to pray in the Spirit and trust the Holy Spirit to take hold with you. As he takes hold together with you by the anointing, that's what enables you to step over into identification. It's not a mental thing, it's a spiritual thing. You begin to feel what they feel. You begin to, uh, in your own spirit, even though you know you're not experiencing this, you, 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 if, if, you're, if you're praying for somebody that is uh, lost. I've had this happen before, praying for someone that's lost. As you get involved in praying in the Spirit and, and God begins to put that burden upon you, you'll, you'll, you'll begin to feel almost like you're lost. I've had that happen again and again. And, and you just feel on the inside just a hopelessness and you're, you're just a, a feeling of being lost. And you think, well, I know I'm saved. I know I'm not lost. What are you doing? You're picking up the condition of that person in prayer, and you're bearing that, B-E-A-R, you're bearing that need before God. You're bearing their lost condition. That's what Jesus did when he came here. He bore our sins. He bore our iniquities. He took them upon himself. Well, we don't take them in the sense that Jesus did because he's already done that, but in order for us to 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 put a hand on that person who's lost and put a hand on God and help bring them together, we have sometimes have to step over in their shoes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not something you work up. You begin to identify. You begin to sense that, that same loss, that same uh, hopeless condition. Well, don't be afraid of that. Yield to that. Continue to pray that way. Continue to labor that way in prayer. Remember what it said about uh, uh, Epaphras? Go over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Verse 12 says, Epaphras, who was one of you, a bondservant of, of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in, in prayer that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Always laboring fervently. This, uh, this word uh, laboring indicates a striving, a wrestling. Always wrestling. The, the uh, ESV, the English Standard Version says, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. The Amplified Bible says, always striving for you earnestly in his prayers. The, excuse me, the Weast Bible says, always contending 
on your behalf in his prayers. Weymouth's translation says, always wrestling on your behalf in his prayers. When this identification begins to, to work, you begin to labor in prayer. And like I said, you take on that person's need. When you're praying for people who are uh, uh, sick, sometimes you will you'll sense it's not a physical thing, uh, but sometimes you'll, you'll, be, you'll almost feel like you have the same physical condition they do temporarily. You know, some people are going to be healed just by hearing the word, getting hold of faith, and acting on it, and they're going to receive their answer. There are other people, it's not God's fault, but there are other people that are just not going to get healed that way. Amen. And, and when those things, uh, sometimes when that's the case, it's necessary for someone to begin to pray uh, the, the, the prayer of supplication for them and allow God to enable you to stand in their place. And you will actually sometimes feel in your physical body. I've had this happen. Feel in my physical body. I've got that same feeling. I'm, I, I, I've got that whatever their condition is. I feel that. Well, it, it, I really am not feeling it in my body. It's in the spirit. But it almost seems like it's a physical thing. Well, when that happens, continue to pray. God is giving you supplication for you to bear that thing before him so that he can answer that need. Amen. Well, praise God. These are things we need to learn about. Glory to God. We've talked about fervency already, and we just read about it again here. There's the component of desire. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, turn over there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 6 and 7 says, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in, comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. I want to read to you something that uh, Wilford Wright said about this. Now, Wilford Wright was John G. Lake's son-in-law. And in Brother Hagin's book, The Art of Prayer, he has an acknowledgement in the front of his book. And I want to read what he wrote about uh, Wilford Wright. He said, Reverend Wilford, K, Wilford H. Wright of, Kinetic, of Kenwick, Washington, was an outstanding Bible teacher. Wilford's wife, Gertrude, was the daughter of John G. Lake, well-known apostle of faith in the early days of this century. That is the 20th century. The Wrights, the Wrights were greatly used by God for many years in the area of prayer before they both went home to be with the Lord. Wilford's teaching on the subject of prayer revealed a depth of knowledge that could only have been gained through years of experience in prayer. I was so impressed with his study outline and comments on the subject of prayer that I asked his permission to use his material in this book to the glory of God. We believe that God will use this book to raise up and train a great number of people who know how to pray and who will be at the forefront of the work of the Lord in these last days. Brother Wright gave me permission to use his material and his remarks and his remarks appear throughout this book in recognizable type. Uh, 
Brother Wright made this comment about desire. He said the Corinthians' earnest desire was recognized by Titus and conveyed to Paul. Something happens when the real God cry, the real God prayer, and the real God yearning gets a hold of our spirit. God lays it on your heart to intercede. Then this burden or whatever it is God has laid on your heart should be the paramount issue of your heart. God is not half-hearted about anything. That's where I got that statement. God is not half-hearted about anything. Since it is his supreme desire, it also becomes the supreme desire of the one called on to intercede. It is cooperation with God. Then he quotes 1 Corinthians 3, 9, which says, For we are laborers together with God. He goes on to say, When the desire to see the answer come is intensified, so that it absorbs all of the energies, then the time for the fulfillment is not far away. This is desire that brings the answer. It is creative desire. God's desire for that person can get a hold of you in prayer. God's, let me say that again. God's desire for that person can lay hold of you in prayer. You have, to, you have to take the first steps. You have to be willing. You have to make yourself available and begin to pray with some fervency and, and desire on your own. But if you'll do that, God's desire will take hold of you. God's desire can move through you just and use you as a channel. We know and we've talked about in the past that God can do nothing on this earth unless someone asks. Well, someone needs to ask with the urgency that's called for. God's sense of urgency, God's sense of desire. How much does he desire for that person to be delivered? Well, as you yield to him in prayer, that desire can flow through. His desire can flow through you and, and your lips become the voice and, the, and the, the, the action of his desire. Amen. And then let's close out with one more concept and that's the concepts of, concept of perseverance. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Well, we read just a few minutes ago, Ephesians chapter 6. Praying always, verse 18, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Perseverance. Wright goes on to say this. He said, when the Holy Spirit lays it upon a person's heart to intercede, the intercession should not stop until the answer is given or the burden is lifted. In my experience, where for the most part I do not know for whom I am interceding, I have had burdens last for hours and even days. I had to do usual work, but all the time there was that inner groaning in my spirit. The times when I had opportunity to get along with God, the burden intensified. There is no rule to follow. Each person will do as God directs. The reason persistence is an, agree, is an ingredient of intercession is that it is easy to throw off a burden and forget about it. It is an awesome responsibility to feel that someone's life may depend on your intercession. Not many, will it, not many believers are willing to accept it. So those who are willing are usually kept very busy. The reason persistence is an ingredient of intercession is that it is easy to throw off a burden and forget about it. 
When God begins to put someone on your heart or a need of some kind on your heart and, and you begin to pray and you sense that, bur that burden intensifying, uh, it's easy to just say, well, I don't have time for this. I have found, just as my own personal experience, that God, used, God doesn't normally move this way on me in times where, when I can't give myself to it. God knows that you have ordinary things to do. He knows that you have responsibilities in life and things that you must uh, take care of and be involved in. I have found personally, it's, it's when I'm available, when I have the time, it's when the Spirit of God moves on me this way. Now, sometimes when that happens, you, you can think of a thousand other things you'd rather do. Oh, I need to go here. Oh, I need to go there. But they're really not pressing. You need to learn to yield to that burden when it comes. And then stay with it. Don't give up on it. And, and like he said, I've had, I've had that sense about someone or a situation last over a, a period of time. Well, that wouldn't mean that I would just pray without ceasing for days and hours and, you know, hours, days or, or weeks about it. I just prayed uh, when I could, when I'd get alone, when I had an opportunity. It was just there. It would just rise up on the inside of me. And then all of the other time, going about my, my ordinary responsibilities, my ordinary tasks, I, I, I could sense that in my spirit. And just under my breath, I'd just have a, just a continual prayer going up while I was doing other things. Now, if you work in, in some kind of a job, that keeps you so focused, you know, mentally that you can't do anything else. Well, God understands that. But when you have time, be sensitive and yield to that anointing. Yield to that burden. Yield to that desire. And stay at it until you get a note of victory. Amen. Well, glory to God. These are things we have to learn. Amen. Glory to God. Well, we'll stop here. Praise God. Thank you, Father, for your truth concerning prayer. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that we're learning to pray. We're learning to pray. We're learning to go deeper in prayer. We're learning to go further in prayer. We're not satisfied with just uh, saving our conscience a little bit just to think, well, we prayed for somebody. Father, we want to be effective in prayer. And we know where revival is concerned, it takes these deeper levels, these deeper areas of prayer in order to pray things out, in order to pray for people properly, in order to pray, Father, in such a way that, that people will be affected and you can move in their lives and bring revival to them. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for prayer. Glory to God. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who takes hold together with us, with us against this infirmity of, of not knowing. Our lack of perception sometimes. Our, even our dullness of spirit, spiritual dullness is an infirmity, a weakness. And we so need you to take hold together with us to help us in prayer. And so, and so, Father, we're grateful that you're always ready. You're always ready. You're always willing to take hold together with us. Glory to God. We thank you for that. Hallelujah. Help us all, Father, to, to take our place in this great ministry of prayer. It's not a special calling for a special few. 
It's a special calling for everybody. It's a general call to prayer. Anyone can have a part in this ministry. Everyone should take their place in this vital ministry of prayer. We thank you for it, Father. We give you all the honor and the glory. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for instructing us. We know there's more to learn. And we, and we know there's more for us to experience as we move forward in revival. And we thank you, Father, that it shall be glory to God. It shall come to pass. Thank you for it, Father. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.